I always love the, uh, the just the child dedication. You know, if you remember back uh, a couple months ago, we were walking through what are my personal kind of ministry core values, and one of those is we'll boldly invest in the next generation. And when you see ten families standing up here saying we want our our children to grow up to know Christ, that is showing the future of the church. And it's something we get to do year after year, and, and it's it's warming from my heart to see where the church is headed. It excites me to see where the church is headed as we, as we move forward. Hey, we're glad you're here with us this morning. If you're here in person, if you're joining us online, we're, we're glad that you're here. We're starting a new series today uh, called, uh, the, simply very creatively called The Holy Spirit. Uh, very creatively called that because that's what it's about. And I'm not very creative at coming up with names. So that's what we're getting here is, is this series called The Holy Spirit. And we're going to spend the next four weeks talking about what Francis Chan refers to as the forgotten God. Uh, and I want to kind of illustrate something to help you out with this idea of the Holy Spirit. Before we jump in today, I want you to think about something that we here in Kansas know nothing about. And that's wind. Okay, can you think about wind for just a moment? Okay, I'm from Oklahoma. We had wind all the time. When we lived in Oregon, we lived in this valley that was ringed by mountains. We really didn't get wind blowing through very often. If, if it blew 10 miles an hour, like that was basically, you know, like a, a hurricane coming through. But you, you get what wind is all about, right? You can't see wind, but you can feel it. You can experience it. You can see the effects of wind. You can see dust blowing because of the wind, or you can see trees blowing because of the wind. Uh, you, can, you can see all of the things that wind creates. It has power that can be harnessed. Uh, it, it has the ability to help create life by, by helping pollinate different things, blowing things from one plant to the next. That's how wind works. And I think the same things can be said about the Holy Spirit. You can't see the Spirit. He's not tangible. He doesn't appeal to our senses, but he's very active and present in the world today and in our lives today. And I think the problem a lot of us have when it comes to the Holy Spirit is we just simply don't understand him all that well. In fact, I want a little crowd participation this morning. I'm going to ask you a question, and I want to see a show of hands on these. I'm going to ask you, uh, of, of the members of the Trinity, the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, which member of the Trinity do you feel like you understand best? Okay, so if I were to say, I understand God, out of those three, the best, you would say, that's me. God the Father. Okay, a couple hands. How many of you would say, for me, it's the Son. I understand Jesus probably the best. That's probably most of us in the room. Okay, so the Father, the Son. And how many of you would say, for me, it's the Spirit. I understand the Spirit the best. A couple of hands. Okay, a few. And it's kind of about what we expect, because the Holy Spirit, I think, is, again, something we just don't understand. And maybe for, for you, that has something to do with how you were brought up in church. A lot of you were brought up in a church where the Holy Spirit just simply wasn't talked about all that much, or maybe just completely ignored altogether. If the Spirit was talked about, he was probably talked about as a side character, like one of the disciples, or somebody from the Old Testament, or just another person out of, out of Scripture, or maybe you grew up on the other end of the spectrum, kind of like I did in a church where the Spirit was emphasized so much that almost the Holy Spirit became the star of the show. And it was more about the Spirit than it almost even was at times about Jesus. Uh, can I just say, if you grew up on either one of those extremes, that that probably isn't the healthiest way to, to learn about the Spirit, but it's also not damaging to your walk with Christ either. Uh, over the next few weeks, our entire purpose is just to talk about 
who the Spirit is and why that matters, because I think it'll help us get, get a better feel for Christ in our walk with him, a better understanding of the Spirit. But understand this too, the goal isn't simply just to understand the Spirit better. Ultimately, the goal for you is to experience the Holy Spirit better. Uh, something you may not, or may, may not know is the Spirit is actually talked about all the way through the Bible. Often we think about the Holy Spirit showing up in Acts chapter 2 and then being there kind of for the rest of the New Testament. But the Spirit is actually mentioned throughout Scripture in the Old Testament as well. And we see a couple of words that are used to describe Spirit. Sometimes it's uh, the Spirit of, of God or, or sometimes we, we read about the angel of the Lord in the Old Testament. A lot of scholars think that's who that's referring to. But something that's kind of fascinating is in the Old Testament, we see the Hebrew word ruach. The New Testament, we get the Greek word pneuma. And you see those words, you don't think they really have much in common, but they do have one thing in common. They have the same translation. Both of them are defined as wind. I asked you earlier what you think about the wind. You don't see it, but you can feel it, and you can experience it, and you can see the effects the wind has on everything else. I think sometimes we don't really get a full understanding and appreciation of wind until we don't have it. Think about this for just a moment. Let's say that you had a sailboat, and you could have the absolute most perfect sailboat ever built, perfect engineering, uh, perfectly built, perfectly planned, the best pilot, and you get out in the middle of the water, and there's no wind. What's going to happen to you? Some of you are giggling because you know what movie this clip is from. And I thought about showing you the actual movie clip, but I really didn't feel like editing that much of it out, so we just went with a picture of it here. This is from Tommy Boy, and this is a scene in Tommy Boy where Chris Farley's character is trying to impress a girl, so he takes her out on a sailboat, and they get out to the middle of the lake, and the wind dies. And then three kids on the bank heckle them, and all they can do is yell back at the kids because they can't go get to them, because they're stuck in the middle. But this is life sometimes, right? Everything seems like it's going well, and then suddenly, boom, you hit a rut, and you're stuck. Maybe you're coming to church, you're reading your Bible, you're, you're going to a small group, you're serving, you're doing all the things you're supposed to be doing and you still feel stuck. And maybe, just maybe, you're in a rut that a lot of us get in sometimes, that sometimes we catch ourselves without enough wind in our sails. And just like Tommy in this movie, we're stuck in the middle of the, the water. I think this is especially true today in a world that is just more and more just distracted by all the chaos and noise that's going on all around us all the time, by, by just what's happening in our world that is confusing and troubling and, and difficult, and at times it seems like it's difficult to be a Christian right now because it's just a hard world to navigate with your faith in your hand, in a world that is becoming more and more aggressive and hostile towards our faith. But here's the thing, Jesus told us this was going to happen. He warned us about this. In John chapter 14, he says, don't let your hearts be troubled. Jesus understood troubling times. He said, the world, the world didn't like me. It's not going to like you either. And he says, you, you're going to have hard times in this world, but take heart, I've overcome the world. And I love this passage in John 14. To me, it's one of the most heartwarming passages in Scripture, one of the most uplifting passages in Scripture, because Jesus is in the, the upper room in the last, uh, just having his last supper with his disciples. He's washed their feet, and he's getting ready to leave, and he knows what's coming next. He's going to Gethsemane, where he's going to pray and be arrested, and within a day be dead. After a savage, savage beating and, and crucifixion, he's going to be dead. 
He knows all of this is coming. And in those words, he takes time to reassure his disciples, don't let your hearts be troubled. And he tells them, I'm going to go away and prepare a place for you because my father has created this amazing house with many, many rooms and I'm going to get them ready for you and then come back and get you. And as he's telling them all of these things, he tells them a few verses later in verse 16, and I will ask the father and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the spirit of truth. Here at Crossroads, we believe that if you have given your heart to Christ, if you've accepted Jesus as your Savior, you believe in him and you've repented of your sin and you've been baptized <clears throat> excuse me, in water, that you have received the Holy Spirit. And I know some places will, will tell you different things. That's just what we believe because that's what we believe Scripture tells us. But you need to understand something. That may be you today. You've done all of those things. And you have the spirit in you, but you need to understand something. There's a big difference between having something and knowing how to use it. My, my grandpa was a, a master craftsman. To, today, my father-in-law is a master mechanic. And both of these guys have shops. My grandpa's is, is gone now, but my, my father-in-law still has his, full of just so many different types of tools. And... Uh, after my grandpa passed, my grandma didn't want any of us as grandkids to fight over his tools, so she was going to put them up for a sale, but told us we could have first crack at them. And I'm like, well, this is really cool. My two cousins are graduated and have good jobs, and I just finished college, and I'm totally broke. But, you know, it's fine. But my mom said, do you want some of grandpa's tools? I'll help you. And I said, Mom, I don't even know what to do with those. <laughs> like, it would just set somewhere, actually at your house, because I don't have a house. It would sit at your house and collect dust. I told Jennifer, I said, I, I hope... You know, your dad has things in his shop in order because if something happens to him, I don't even know where to start. Like, I wouldn't even know what some of this stuff is, much less how to use it. Now, if I got those tools, I could probably figure it out. I could probably watch some YouTube videos. I could talk to people. I could, could learn how to maybe harness what this tool could actually do. But I think a lot of us have the same mindset with the Holy Spirit. We have him, but we don't know what to do with the Spirit. We don't know how to harness the Holy Spirit in our lives. And I think one of the big reasons why is we don't classify the Holy Spirit the right way. For starters, I think a lot of times we can't fully experience the Holy Spirit because we view the Spirit as an it, and we forget that the Holy Spirit is a person. We forget to personify him as a member of the Godhead. He's not just a thing, he's a person. So that's kind of rule number one in this series. If you refer to the Holy Spirit as it, let's, let's stop doing that. And stop putting uh, the correct pronoun there for him, that he is a, a person. But I want you to kind of think about this for a second too, because as we personify the Spirit here, what does that mean? Well, look around. You've got people in your life that you can rely on, that you can depend on, that can be there for you, that can help you when you have, you have a need. And often I think that we do this same thing. We wish that we could have Jesus right here beside us. Because think of how great life would be if Jesus was right beside us. Like, I don't feel very good today, Jesus. And he just reaches over, lays his hands on you, boom, you know, you're healed. Or I've got a big decision coming up, Jesus. Can you just tell me which is the right path to take? And he's right there to tell you which path to take. He's there for you to, to help you when you're sick, to help you if you're trying to, to create a new diet or create a new ministry. If your dog dies, Jesus is right there to raise him from the dead for you. If your cat dies, Jesus is there to 
Help you bury him somewhere. You know, Jesus is right there with you all the time to help you out. I'm going to get some emails on Monday, I'm sure. But it's all right. You can forward those to Brad Fangman. He'll, he'll gladly take those cat emails from you. So. But think about this for just a moment here. How great would life be if Jesus was right beside you all the time? That's what the disciples had. They came to him with everything. They came to him with needs, and he took care of them. And in that passage, John 14, 15, 16, this whole conversation that's three chapters long in the Gospel of John, he tells them this in in chapter 16, verse 7, Very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I'm going away. And they're like, wait a minute, what? (laughs) How is it possibly for our good that you're going away? You're Jesus, you're God in the flesh, and you're right here with us, and you're going to leave, and that's good? Look what he says, unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. Then in verse 13 he says, but when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. Who would love to have somebody guiding them in truth with every step they take? I can just tell you, looking back at my life, things would have gone much, much smoother if I was guided into truth on every single step. You know that verse in, in Proverbs about don't lean on your own understanding? I would have had to if I would have been a little more in tune with the Spirit at times, listening and being guided. Can I kind of make a bold statement here? The Holy Spirit in you is better than Jesus beside you. Here's what I mean by that. When Jesus walked this earth, by all accounts that we read in the Gospels, He was strapped with the same human limitations that we were. Yes, he's God in the flesh. And yes, we read about Jesus healing from distance. Like he didn't always have to go lay his hands on. There were times he spoke it into existence and it happened. But Jesus, as best we can tell, in the human form, in the human body, had the same physical limitations that we do. I I like to be looked at as somebody who's reliable and dependable. But here's kind of the thing. Usually I can only help one person at a time. If I'm helping somebody over here, I'm not over here to help somebody at that moment in time. So I might need Jesus to help me out here in in suburban Kansas City, but, you know, he's busy in Berlin, like on the other side of the globe, and he just can't get here, you know, just like that. But the Holy Spirit, as we said a moment ago, if you believe in Christ and you've accepted him as Savior and you've been baptized and you've done all of these things, he is in your heart and he resides in you, each and every one of you. The Apostle Paul says this in 1 Corinthians, that our our bodies are God's temple, and the Spirit dwells in us. But again, too often, we forget to personify him. I think our problem is often we think of the Spirit as it, rather than who. Rather than who he is. Before we even get into the rest of this series talking about what the Spirit does, in us and for us and through us, I want to spend a little bit more time talking about who. Who is the Holy Spirit? Again, go back to what Jesus said in John 14. I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you and to be with you forever. I don't really have time today to break down what the Trinity is all about. That there's semester-long classes about that, and you're still left scratching your head when it's over because the Trinity is such a complex 
topic, but yet it's also so very simple at the same time. But when we mention the Trinity, what we mention is this. There's three parts of the Godhead. And we look at these three parts of, of the Godhead as separate but one. Like individual, but also all part of the same God. And so there's God the Father, who is the creator, who is above all and is all, and through whom everything was made. And then there's God the Son, who is Jesus, who came to earth to be the sacrificial lamb, to be the Messiah for us, who died on the cross as an atoning sacrifice for our sins, to redeem us and restore us back to the Father who created us, who died on the cross and was buried and rose again on the third day and has ascended back to heaven where he's with the Father and he'll return one day. He submits to the Father. And then there's the Holy Spirit who submits to both the Son and the Father. And you, you, you hear all of this and you, you read all of this and we think about this, three distinct entities, not three separate gods, but all part of the same one. If you're confused yet, that's okay. Because here's the thing I think we need to understand about the Spirit and about the Trinity as a whole. A lot of times we want to have it figured out. We want it to make sense because we need to be able to explain it to ourselves so we can explain it to others. And I've told you this. This is how my brain works a lot of times. I don't want to just know the what. I want to know the why and the how. I peel the onion back layer after layer. And can I just tell you, when it comes to God and his nature and who he is, there's no end in the peeling you're just going to keep doing. So can I just say something? If you can't figure it all out, maybe it's because we're not supposed to. Maybe it's because our finite brains just can't comprehend all of that. And that's okay. At some point, faith has to come in. I heard it said one time when I was in Bible college, if you could truly comprehend God, you would have no use for God. Because you've got him figured out, therefore you can think how he thinks. And scripture says our ways aren't his ways. Our thoughts aren't his thoughts. So maybe, just maybe, if you can't figure it all out, that's because we're not supposed to be able to explain it. You're supposed to be able to experience it and feel it and welcome God into your heart and welcome him into your mind and welcome him into your soul. We're going to talk the next few weeks about what the Spirit does and specifically, we're going to talk next week about what the Spirit does for us. And then we're going to talk about what he does in us. And then what, ultimately what he does through us. And I would encourage you to be here because this is a topic that is near and dear to my heart. Growing up in a church that talked about the Holy Spirit a lot. Primarily about the, the, the through us and the experience part. But I want to break down all of these because I think it's so important for us to get to know him better because we can unleash his power in and through our lives. But I want to just give you today a couple of, of examples of the personhood of the Spirit, and specifically two big main reasons why I say the personhood, because there's two things that we can do to the Holy Spirit that we can't do to an, an, uh, an inanimate object. That's a lot harder to come out of my mouth and say than I thought it was going to be. An inanimate object. Okay, the first thing you can do to the Holy Spirit is you can lie to the Holy Spirit. He can be lied to. You can't lie to your truck. You can't lie to a rock. You, know, you can't lie to the stage right here in front of me. I mean, you can, but I mean, like it's a, it's a piece of wood. It's not going to care, right? But the Spirit can be lied to. 
In Acts chapter 4, we, we read this story about the, the gathering of the church bringing everything that they owned and basically saying, we're going to live a life that is fully sacrificial. Everything that we have is for the use of the community. And they gave what they had, and, and they helped one another out. And there was this one couple named Ananias and Sapphira that we read about as we get into chapter 5. They sold land that they owned, and they brought the money off of the land and gave it to the church. And they made it look like they gave everything they made. That's what they said. But in reality, they gave a portion. Now, let's just take that example because sometimes it's easy to, to view this and it looks harsh because they give just an example of this or a sample of this, but there was a lot more to it. And Peter says in Acts chapter 5, verse 3, he says, How has Satan so filled your heart that you've lied to the Holy Spirit? And they were struck dead right there. It's easy to, to look at this and go, man, that's very, very cruel, God. Like, they gave a nice donation. Well, you're not wrong. They did. The problem is they made it look like they gave everything. And they basically said to God in the Spirit, Here, here's everything. I think it's, it's funny when we talk about lying to the Spirit. Lying to God, it's like lying to your parents when you're a kid. They already know the truth. Like, when you lie to God, it's not like you're actually deceiving him. He knows. <laughs> He knows your heart. He knows your mind. He knows what's going on. You're trying to convince yourself, I think, more than you're trying to convince him. But we can lie to one another. We can deceive one another. We can mislead one another. You can lie to the Spirit as well, too. The second thing you can do is you can grieve the Holy Spirit. He can be grieved. If you've been in any relationship with any person for any length of time, you know what it means to be grieved. We hurt one another. Right? It's just we, we're not capable of not doing that. We upset one another. We frustrate one another. You can do that to the Holy Spirit. Paul tells us this. He warns us about this in Ephesians 4. He says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Well, if he's telling you not to do it, that implies you can do it. That says that you can do it. Think about how you can grieve one another. You can do the same thing to the Spirit. If you can lie to him and you can grieve to him or grieve him, that tells you there's a personification there. But remember, the Holy Spirit dwells within you. And I want to ask you a question here. Knowing that the Holy Spirit dwells within you, does that give you a confidence? Does that give you a boldness in a way that impacts your walk with Christ for the better? Because if it doesn't, it should. If it doesn't, it absolutely should. We see so many examples in, in the New Testament of the Spirit guiding and leading people specifically and helping them specifically. Again, Jesus told his disciples in John 16, when the Spirit comes, he will guide you into all, the, all truth. I would love to have a daily guide. Hey, Kurt, this next step is very stupid. Don't take it. Okay, here I go. You know, that's what we do, right? No, hey, don't take that one. Take this one. Life would have been a whole lot simpler if I was more in tune and listening to that along the way. Or how about Luke chapter 2? A man named Simeon says that he was moved by the Spirit to go into the temple courts. He was moved by the Spirit to go into the temple courts because there was a young couple in there like we just had a moment ago. They Mary and Joseph with a new baby that they wanted to dedicate to the Lord. And so the Spirit moved Simeon to go in there. And to, to do this. Or in Acts chapter 20, uh, the Apostle Paul says, Now compelled by the Spirit, I am going to Jerusalem. Paul, we read about this several times in the book of Acts, followed the Spirit's leading. 
He would stay when the Spirit told him to stay. He would go when the Spirit told him to go. Can I just throw this out there? Maybe, maybe somebody here today is at a crossroads in life. Like you're at a crossroads with your career or your job, and you're not really sure what to do next. Have you talked to God about that? Have you asked the Spirit for guidance there? Because that's exactly what we're talking about with Paul. Paul would stay in one place till the Spirit told him to move on. And he would move when the Spirit told him to. I've had this in my life. Whether it was ministry or just other parts of life, say, God, if this is what you want me to do, open the door and, and, and lead me through it. If it's not, shut the door. Because I don't want to dwell on this anymore. If this is where you want me to go, let me go. Release me from where I'm at and let me go. And if it's not, I'll stay. But can I, can I just encourage you with something here? It's hard to do this without a personal relationship with God. And it's hard to do this without personifying the Spirit enough to trust Him. Think about it like this. If you just get random advice from somebody at Walmart, does that mean much to you? Probably not. Unless it's, hey, there's very sticky stuff on the floor over there. Don't go over on aisle four, you know. If it's life advice, you're probably not going to take it. But the closer you are to somebody the more you're going to listen to their advice and take it. The more their words are going to mean to you. So maybe, just maybe, if the Holy Spirit isn't personal for you, you'll miss his promptings in your life. Maybe, just maybe. And I know for me, that last little part there has been the hard part for me, it is learning the promptings. I always say I have a hard time getting my head and my heart in the same place or at least to be looking in the same place. And so I've prayed different times, God, if this is what you want me to do, make those two things line up. Because my head's usually pretty good at staying on the level and listening. My heart wants what the heart wants. And those don't always go in the same direction. Sometimes I think it's easy to ask the question, is this the Holy Spirit leading me, or is this that burrito I had at lunch that's just not settling well? It's easy to kind of think that sometimes. But I think the more serious question to ask, at least that I always ask, God, is this your spirit leading me or is this an enemy trying to deceive me by pulling my heart into a direction it shouldn't go? And that's a very valid question to ask God. So if you want just a little bit of, of, of advice on this, if you're being pulled by the Holy Spirit, at least you think you are, if you want to get some verification on this, you might ask, how do I know the prompting is from the Spirit and not from something else. I've got three really, really quick ways you can, can judge this. Number one, being prompted by the Holy Spirit will never contradict God's will. If you're feeling led to go do something that seems like maybe a bit of a shady business practice, where somebody's going to get cheated or undercut or stolen from, the good chance that's not coming from the Holy Spirit. He's not going to lead you into a path that goes against what the Word of God tells you to do or into a path that tells you or what the Word of God tells you not to do. Second, being prompted by the Holy Spirit will never lead you to a purely selfish decision. Paul writes in Ephesians 2 for us to not live a life that is selfish in vain conceit, but to humble ourselves and to consider others as, as good, if not greater, than ourselves. A life like Christ led. Now understand this on number two. A lot of times you're going to make a decision that somebody will call selfish. That doesn't mean it necessarily is, but it may get viewed that way. We just did a whole series on taking time off for yourself to be with God. There are some people who will look at that as selfish time. 
No, you're spending time with God. You're doing what you need to do in your heart and in your soul to, to replenish yourself. But you understand what it means to be in a purely selfish decision. Number three, being prompted by the Holy Spirit, this is a big one, will usually cost you something. I don't know of a time that you follow the Spirit where it's not going to cost you something. And I can't tell you what that's going to be. Maybe it's going to be something that is physical. Maybe it's going to be something that is uh, just a step in faith. It's scary. It's a risk. I don't know where the Spirit is potentially leading you today. But it's going to cost you something. Uh, When I was uh, getting ready to go to college, actually I was getting ready to change colleges. I went to a junior college in my hometown for two years. I was transferring to finish school, and and at the time I had everything lined up to go to what is now Missouri State University in Springfield, Missouri. I'm going to live with my cousins. Um, I had it all mapped out, all planned out. I was going to major in, in business, and I just started having these questions. Is this really what I'm supposed to do? And I just prayed, God, whatever you want from me, make this work out. And little things dropped in front of me that that year. Little things came in front of me the the next several months, in the spring of 2003 and in the summer of 2003. And uh, at the last minute, changed my mind and went up enrolling at OU instead. I enrolled at OU in August of 2003. School started two weeks later. And uh, that late... You don't really get the, you get whatever classes are left over. Like my first semester to get into a class, to make a schedule, I wound up in an Air Force ROTC class. Don't ask how that happened. I was sitting there talking to guys. This guy walks in in a flight suit. They called the room to attention. I thought, I am out of place here. And I also, for, for a foreign language class, wound up in a Kiowa Indian language class. There are three speakers of that language still in existence. And I had two of them as professors. I don't remember anything from the class, but, you know, that's, that's what I had, right? But I just remember praying, God, is this what you really want for me, or is this what I really want for me? Because I always wanted to go there. I just didn't think it was going to be in the cards. And it just turned out that was exactly where I was supposed to be. Because certain people came into my life. A man named Greg Tiffany came into my life who inspired me to lead in the church in a different way than I ever had before and showed me how to do that. And it helped me. I went up switching from business into to journalism, which is where I wanted to go in the first place, to help with communication skills and, and to learn those types of things that would prove valuable down the road and ultimately just lead into the path that led me to where I am now. But you've got to follow the, the, the promptings of the Spirit. What did that cost me when I went there? Well, it cost me everything. Because I stepped there and knew nobody. I had already kind of made, again, everything was in place over here. And this was almost a last-minute thing to go there. I knew nobody. I had to find an apartment at the last minute. I had to find my way around. I had to trust people that I had no idea who they were and just kind of put myself out there. And for somebody who at the time was very, very introverted, that was hard to do. But I'm so glad that I did. Trust the Spirit's leading. You may say, I have no idea how to do that. I'm going to give you a very, very simple takeaway prayer today. And I want you to pray this sometime this week. And just invite God to open your ears to his Holy Spirit. Prayer goes like this. God, help me to hear your promptings this week. And help me to act on them. Show me how personal you are. If you don't know the Holy Spirit, I want to encourage you, please be here the next three weeks. 
And we're going to talk about what he's going to do in you and for you and through you as well, too. Let's pray. Father, we're so thankful for your spirit. We're thankful for all of those things he does for us, those leadings that he gives us, those guidances, that transformation he does within our hearts and our, our souls. And God, we're so thankful for the power that he unleashes through us. But God, ultimately, we're thankful for who he is and why that matters to us today. So God, I pray today for anybody who is needing to hear the voice of the Spirit, God, you would open their ears and make that obvious for them. God, you would show them how personal you truly are. You created us in your image on purpose, for a purpose, and that the Spirit can guide us to that. God, help us to see that and to hear that. We pray this today in Jesus' name. Good morning. We now are at the time that we're going to be having communion. So if you have not picked up a communion cup um, at the table in the back, there should be some on the side tables as well. You can do that at this time. I'm going to read a verse that I think is very appropriate for this. <clears throat> it's something that uh, one of the most colorful individuals in the New Testament wrote. And when I say colorful, I mean colorful. He was a guy that sometimes when he opened his mouth, he stuck his foot in his mouth. Other times he opened his mouth and he would say something that was just golden. I mean, it was just perfect and inspiring and comforting. I'm talking about Peter, the apostle. And he wrote a couple of letters that are found toward the end of the New Testament. And in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, he wrote this. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Now the passage goes on, but basically he's saying there, and the key phrase I think is that God has given us everything we need everything to live everything we need to live the life that he's called us to live now sometimes I know there are um, all of us probably find ourselves in this spot but some of us maybe a little more frequently than others where we start dismissing ourselves and thinking I can't do it I can't cut the grade I can't live the way God wants me to I'm just not capable of doing that well the reality is that in and of yourself, by your own effort, that's totally true. But he doesn't leave it totally up to you. He has provided you with many things. I spoke about this passage once, and I think I had a list of 12 things that I was aware of that he provided and that there was probably more. But let me just touch on a couple. One is he gives us his very great and precious promises. Right in the text, he goes on and talks about that. And some of you know all about that because you've actually bought a Christian book that has something to do with all the promises in the Bible. We get a lot of comfort and encouragement from the promises of God. That's one of the things he gives us. But another thing that he gives us, that's not a thing, as Kurt just pointed out, and that is the Holy Spirit. The indwelling Holy Spirit. We're talking about that today. We'll talk about that the next three Sundays. And so I encourage you to be a part of the entire series. 
this is key, that he doesn't call you to do something that is totally beyond you. He equips you. Our Lord equips you and me to be able to live the life that he's called us to live. And the Holy Spirit is part of that. But the key thing that he has provided is the cross. And that's what every week we have this time built into our service. A time of prayer and reflection when we look back at the greatest sacrifice that has ever been made in the history of time. And that is God sending his son Jesus to die on the cross for you. It was a gift for you and for me. Because in our Lord doing that, the great exchange was made possible where he extends to us his righteousness and he takes from us the guilt of sin. We have a clean slate in his eyes. This is a key moment in time. Every Sunday we gather together when we reflect on what the Lord has done for us. Ultimately, by the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you for, for knowing that based on human nature, we needed regular reminders of what really matters. Thank you for loving us so much that you were willing to do something so incredible in the sending of your son Jesus to die on our behalf. And as we take the bread and eat it in the cup and we drink it, we remember the body and the blood of our Lord, our Savior, Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen.